Hi friends, Merry Christmas and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. Here is our Christmas Day message, The Effect Leading to Faith, delivered by the Rev. Dr. John Guest. Thank you for listening. Let's bow our heads and talk to this Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of your Son. And as we celebrate this morning, this this amazing gift of your love, a love gift, And as we endeavor to celebrate the wonder of that love, we do pray that you would draw us to yourself, Lord Jesus, in awe and wonder. Thank you for the realization again this morning that you gave your Son, your one and only, your only begotten Son, And as we think about that amazing love of yours, please, Lord Jesus, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, this very Christmas morning, And set them on fire with love for yourself. And all this we pray in the name of your love. And for your name's sake. Amen. Well, I love the big sign. We had it up uh, for about a week or so now as we've anticipated Christmas. The wonder. To celebrate the wonder. That's on the front of your service sheet, to celebrate the wonder. And it is our prayer that even here this morning, as of last night as well, we would be awestruck that we would view again what God is bringing to us this very morning with the gift of his Son, awe and wonder. I do want to speak about his love because when it is all boiled down, when you simplify the whole of the message of Christmas, when you take all the events, what is shining through is the wonder of God's love for us. When I first came here to the USA, I was wandering around with a guitar And one of the events I got to uh, be present at and uh, enjoy was a week of camping in North Carolina at a camp called the Triple R Ranch. It was simulating the West. I had just arrived from England. It was very, very English. The idea of spending a week on a ranch and uh, playing cowboys was very, very attractive. When I got there, my room was in the top of an A-frame, and underneath my room, my little A-frame apartment, was the sheriff's office. And it had a big desk and a swivel seat and 
rifles and pistols and holsters on the wall. So I had just met Kathy, who became my wife that same year, 1967. And I would be up at midnight trying to reach her on the West Coast by phone, which means I'm catching her about 9 o'clock at night. Sometimes it ran to 10 or 11, which pushed me to 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. But I would sit at that sheriff's desk and try to get my call through to her, the good old-fashioned days with a telephone right there on the desk. I'm swiveling around and playing Matt Dillon in my head. An English Matt Dillon. Can you feature it? And... uh, I took one of the pistols out of the, the holster on the wall, broke it open, spanned the cylinder like I'd seen them do on the movies, click it shut, pull the trigger, put it back, call Kathy again, and got through to her. So somewhere between one or two in the morning, I went up to my little room at the top of the A-frame and went to sleep. Next morning, the sheriff came knocking at my door, the chap who was running the camp. He said, did you hear anything last night? I said, no. He said, are you sure? I said, I'm very sure. He said, come on down with me. So still sort of bleary, put some clothes over me, went down to the sheriff's office, and there sitting in the same chair I had sat in was a kid with his head forward on the desk and a pistol still in his hand on the desk. The one I had played with and blood pooled on the desk from his head. He had come later that night, armed that pistol, and committed suicide. And he left a note on the desk, quoting the Beatles of that year. And what he had written on that note before he died were these words, all you need is love. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. And then he shot himself. It's hard to know what was going on in that lad's head. He was a senior in high school, 17 years of age. But he had it as true as the Beatles had sung it. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. Without that love, What else is there? Wealth, success, health, good food, a nice home, a family. But without love, what do we have? The aching longing of the human heart is for love. 
So what we see in Christmas is the first essential truth that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. God is love. It's not just what he does. It's not just how he expresses himself. It is who he is. God is love. He doesn't do just loving things. He is the essence of love. He is love. It's hard for us to grasp that. Because we tend to see love as a verb, something we do. But here love is a noun. It's who God is. He is love. And he is because he is everlasting, everlasting love. Everlasting Jeremiah chapter 31, God himself says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And when you read through the Psalms, a constant recurring phrase is this, his love endures forever. So he is love, he is everlasting love, because he is eternal. Who he is, is eternal. It's an everlasting love. And just as we sang here, he is holy, holy, holy. His love is a holy love. It's not just a sentimental feeling. It really is an expression of the wholeness, the holiness of who he is. So he loves us with a holy love. That is a pure love. It's hard for us to grasp that. Because I would expect every one of us to acknowledge that the love that we experience or express is impure. It tends to be self-centered. It's to get something. To give in order to get. To tell a girl you love her for what you might get out of her. Can you trust somebody who just says they love you anymore? What do you want? What are you after? But God's love is a pure love. It's what we have described as a love that cannot be quenched, is not reciprocal. It flows from the essence of who God is. Therefore, it is unconditional. It is not on the condition that we love him or do anything for him or have anything to give him, it emanates from God himself, who is love, is love forever, and loves us with an everlasting love. And it's hard for us to imagine a love that is unconditional. It flows from a God who is love. While there is more to be said about this love, and we'll touch on it, the next essential of that love is that it is personal. It is not God loving a crowd in the same way that some politician may say, I love you all, and blow us a kiss. He doesn't know us all. How can he love us all? It's not that kind of idiot love. God loves us individually, personally, 
And if he doesn't love us personally, listen very carefully, it's not love. It's a person-to-person love. He loves you. When it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, God so loved, there's the expression of the love, that he gave his son. If he gave loving the world, he gave loving us one at a time, individually, personally. So I could walk throughout this audience this morning and point to each of you and say, God loves you. You're not lost in this crowd. Our first service yesterday was absolutely standing room only. And the second service was a full church, not quite as packed out as the earlier service. And here we are this morning, Christmas Day itself, and you've made it to church. And here that God knows you are here, and he loves each one of you personally with a holy love that is a pure love, that is an unconditional love. He is love, and he loves you. And there are three symbols of that love in our Christmas account. The first is this, the cradle. The second is the cross. And the third is a crown. If I were Pastor Ed up here this morning, I would get you to say those three things right after me. A cradle, a cross, a crown. Why don't you do that? Ready? A cradle, a cross, and a crown. The cradle, the crib, a feeding trough. Another miracle of God's love is his humility. He came, born of a very ordinary girl, Mary. And as she gave birth to Jesus, it was below ordinary. It was in a stable. And when she laid her child in swaddling clothes, it was in a feeding trough. That's a manger. And the first people who got the message were shepherds, not a host of them, not a huge crowd. Just a few smelly shepherds. And the angelic host came proclaiming the glory of God. And the angel said to those shepherds, To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying or cloths and lying in a manger. Symbol of humility. Who got the message? The shepherds. Where was Jesus? In a stable. In a feeding trough. The humility of God in coming after us. He didn't come in some marvelous palace. He wasn't like one of the British royals or some aristocratic politician here in the USA. God himself 
came and was born of an ordinary woman in a subnormal place and laid in a feeding trough as a crib, as a cradle. And the first witnesses to this, some very ordinary, smelly shepherds. And that makes God accessible to all of us. We can all identify with that kind of humility, not because we are that humble, but when we see it and we see the poverty in which Christ was born, no room in the inn, room only in a stable, God coming looking for us, reaching out to us, loving us. And the humility of that makes him accessible to royalty, to wealth, to power, to the elites on the one hand. They are astounded that God would reveal himself in such a way, not competing with their wealth or their glory or their honor or their majesty or their power coming in absolute humility but he reaches the most ordinary ordinary subnormal person on the streets we used to sing a song truly julie's blues back in the days when i was with the band and the song about truly julie and her blues was that she saw the gutter and looking at the gutter it was up for her not down in the gutter. When she looked at the gutter, it was up for her. So low, she was lower than the gutter. And Jesus comes reaching the most poverty-stricken, most messed up, broken, wicked, hopelessly screwed up individual. He has come all the way down in the depths to us. That's the cradle. Across the cradle fell the shadow of the cross. For unto you is born this day a Savior. Joseph was called by the angel to name Jesus by that name, Jesus. You will call his name Jesus, which means Savior, because he will save his people from their sins. Just in the reading this morning, Mary was told that a sword would pierce her through, her spirit through and through. This child, Jesus, would bring her such pain. Mary was at the cross. And even at the glory of that message that to us was born a Savior, Mary knew that this would be a painful, painful, sword-piercing experience somewhere in her life the cross it's hard to imagine that a child was born to become a human sacrifice that has happened and happens from place to place even now in this age that a woman will give birth to a child in order to offer that child as a human sacrifice it feels, humanly speaking, unthinkable. But when God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus, his love is expressed supremely 
in the sacrifice of the cross. It's a sacrificial love. It's not a sentimental, but sacrificial love. That's how much he loves each one of us. Grasp that, that God could come walking through this congregation. And Jesus, no doubt in his spirit, is moving amongst us right now. And it's like he points to you and said, that's how much I love you. That's how much I love you. And the victory of Christ from the grave, walking from the grave alive, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering hell, conquering the devil, is crowned in glory. The head that once was crowned with thorns, says the hymn writer, is crowned with glory now. The brilliant way in which the Apostle Paul expressed this in Philippians 2 is this. Speaking of Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that is like hung on to, but emptied himself, making himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, hear these words, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's this brilliant piece in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15. And even as I read it, you will hear Handel's Messiah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. He is crowned in victory, in triumph, in glory and honor. And here is the master stroke of humility. The ultimate Bethlehem effect is that that lordly, sovereign, triumphant king wants to dwell within us. Back to the smelly stable. Back to whatever filth and corruption our lives represent. It's the worst of us that he comes after. It's the worst in us that he can deal with. It's not that he's looking on the fine side of what our personality is and said, well, for all that mess, they did do that nice thing. They did say those kind words. They did love in a kindly fashion. They were very generous. For all the mess of their lives, they did do some nice things. It's the filth. It's that undertow of rottenness that Jesus deals with. He's willing to come and live in our lives. And the ultimate Bethlehem effect is for us to respond to this amazing love.
It's how much he loves you. And he hasn't changed. It's how much he loves me. And I find that almost impossible to grasp. I find it difficult to believe that my wife loves me. That my children love me. That anybody loves me. I know who I am. And God loves me. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. And that last picture is of Jesus, the good shepherd, looking for the one lost sheep until he found it. And he's walking through this audience now, looking for you. Are you that one he has come looking for? Do you get it? Are you that one? He knows who you are. He knows what you're dealing with. And he comes looking for us one at a time. And he is here for you. Let's talk to him. See him coming right to where you are. A one-on-one encounter. And on this Christmas morning, this Christmas morning of 2016, at the 10 o'clock service at Christ Church at Grove Farm. He has an appointment with you. He has come to you. You have heard how he loves you. What is your response? Faith is not just simply a matter of a human mental, intellectual acquiescence. Faith is to entrust yourself to him, to throw yourself upon him, to fall at his feet, to clasp him, embrace him, surrender to him, yield to him, In your own heart, say these words. This is between you and him, our Lord Jesus. Say these words. But to yourself and him, just between you and him, say thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for meeting me and greeting me on this holy morn. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, to every dark, miserable corner of my life and fill me with yourself with your love, with who you are. Drive out the darkness of doubt. Drive out that negative skepticism that has so captured my spirit. Toss it away, Lord. Overwhelm it. 
You as King of kings and Lord of lords, win this battle right now in my life. I give myself to you, that you come sit on the throne of my life, taking full possession of who I am, dealing with all that I have been and done, and capturing me for yourself and the destiny and future you have for me from this moment on. Oh Lord, I mean every word. Where faith is short, Lord, help my unbelief. This morning I surrender it all to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for a new beginning on this, your birthday. Thank you.